0: You have to get the product or the technology into the hands of as many clinicians as possible in the most convenient way you can think of. Because as everyone knows, there is just not enough time for everyone to do everything. And if you want people to use your thing, yeah, you you, you just need to get it to them in a very, very convenient
1: way. Welcome to the Personalized Medicine Podcast. This is the place where scientists, clinicians, and entrepreneurs discuss the progress of this rapidly developing field. I am your host, Alexander Jahensky. Let's start 3, 2, 1, and we are live Welcome to the next episode of the Personalized Medicine Podcast In today's episode we will cover a very important and at the same time very underappreciated medical condition We will be talking about sepsis and how it can be addressed with precision medicine It is my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Philip Stevens, the co-founder and CEO of Nasendo, a German company that develops highly sensitive methods to detect pathogens using DNA sequencing approaches. Philip studied bioinformatics at the University of Tübingen and received his PhD from the University of Vienna, where he focused on the assembly of bacterial and fungal genomes using NGS. After his PhD, Philip spent a year at Fraunhofer Institute for Interfacial Engineering and Biotechnology as a research scientist. In 2016, Philip co-founded Nosendo and has been leading the company as its CEO since then. Philip, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Sasha. Looking forward to discussing what we're doing at Nocendo.
1: Yeah, great. Let's start with that. And maybe let's start with your personal story. So what we'd like to ask is what got you interested in the field you are in today, in your case, bioinformatics and genomics, and how has that passion led you to the place you are at today?
0: So basically, when I started studying bioinformatics in my undergrads, um, it became quite clear that sequencing in itself is going to change how biological questions will be answered. And um, the tools which kind of give us the answers are developed within the bioinformatics community. So for me, it was just a natural fit that bioinformatics is the toolkit needed to really, say, find the gold nuggets which are hidden in genomics data. And throughout my education and then my Ph.D., as you mentioned, working with bacterial and fungal genomes, um, NIPT was becoming more and more, say, widespread within, first of all, the scientific community, but also as a commercial tool. And the idea of having non-invasive tests based on sequencing is basically what motivated me and also my co-founders then to tackle a very severe and highly underappreciated um topic which is sepsis and other infectious diseases so that's basically how it went
1: perfect great and uh Let's talk about sepsis uh, for a moment. So you mentioned that it is a very underappreciated condition. And I also have a little bit of experience working on that topic as well. So maybe you can tell our audience about the scale of sepsis, uh, why it goes under radar, and uh, perhaps uh, how difficult was it to convince people that it's actually an important topic to work on?
0: Yeah, with, with, with sepsis, or as many laymen would call it, blood poisoning, Um, The problem is that it is not a disease in itself, but rather a syndrome, which which then presents itself with certain characteristics like fever, like uh, faster breathing, etc., etc. So it's really hard to detect from a clinical standpoint. And the other side is that, for example, compared to a lot of situations in oncology, sepsis hasn't received such huge amounts of research funding. It hasn't gotten that much attention also from the authorities. And thus the sepsis community, whether it is in the clinical space or in the biotech space, is a rather small one. And for a very long time, there was no real technological breakthrough, which paved the way to kind of redo the whole sepsis diagnostic challenge again. And a lot of people tried a lot of things and they've done tremendous groundwork and they've pushed boundaries basically on every aspect, like, for example, in England with uh, the Welcome Sepsis Trust in the States with all the awareness programs going on, but even though people just didn't know what sepsis is, and therefore um, a lot of clinical engagement was basically focused also on patients which should be educated to just ask their physicians, could it be sepsis? And the problem then is, even though you may then know that it is sepsis or that it could be sepsis, there weren't any tools to really tackle the problem in the first place. Because sepsis as a syndromic disease is just the overreaction to a systemic infection. And if you don't get a grasp on the infection, you're, you're still not going to get a grip on sepsis itself. And this kind of problem that it is, first of all, a very complex disease, that it has an impact on millions of lives every year, um, is what it makes so hard.
1: Yeah, understand. And can you tell us, can you tell our audience a little bit more about how sepsis is currently diagnosed typically in the hospital and then maybe what what are the advantages of the approaches that you are using uh, with NGS?
0: Yeah, so typically if a patient is presenting to the hospital or as an inpatient within the hospital with fever, with a faster breathing rate, with certain other characteristics, he, he or she... Um, is immediately prescribed the first round of antibiotics and a blood culture is drawn. And blood culture is still the standard of care diagnostic tool around the world to detect bacteria and fungi in the case of a suspect, suspected bloodstream infection, meaning sepsis. The problem is that giving antibiotics and using culture techniques is not working really well um, because antibiotics inhibit growth of bacteria, and in uh, and and inhibit growth of fungi. And in a culture, you want exactly this: the growth of bacteria and fungi. So, meaning fast treatment is kind of neglecting the efficiency, so to speak, of culture. And this was. This is is basically known to every clinician, every microbiologist, etc. And that's also why a lot of companies focused on PCR, because they said, you know, if we're just going to use DNA to detect the microbe, um, we get rid of the fact that a fast treatment affects our diagnostic performance. But then over the time, what became apparent is that PCR in its nature is not sensitive enough to detect those microbes because you don't know what kind of DNA stretches are available in your in your sample. You don't know how much of the material is in your sample. And then um, when we thought about it, we said, you know, we, we need to obviously use NGS because everyone uh, was already working with NGS, but we also have to kind of find a new entry point. And looking at liquid biopsy in the oncology space and NIPT, um, the idea which came up in Kai Zone's lab, who is also one of the co-founders of Nosteno, was, you know, cell-free DNA should be able to provide the information um, what kind of bug is messing with the patient in case of a systemic infection. So then what we basically did is, just whole genome shotgun sequencing of cell-free DNA. And as it turns out, it works pretty well. And especially in septic patients, there is 99 point whatever percent of human DNA floating around in your bloodstream, but there is a tiny fraction of microbial cell-free DNA. And this microbial cell-free DNA can be leveraged to identify Bacteria, fungi, DNA viruses, and parasites in a single assay, and not only with a higher sensitivity than blood culture, but the breadth of the assay itself, meaning covering exactly this, all kinds of microbes, gives an advantage, especially in complex cases, because it's not only more sensitive, it's also faster and, to some extent, it's also easier deployable than culture. And this kind of um, led us to kind of the idea to develop a product based on cell-free DNA to identify um, microbes which are causative for uh, sepsis or for the infection.
1: Fantastic. Uh, sound, sounds really exciting, Philip. And let's come to a product in a second. But first, I'm interested in the in the origin story of Nascendo. So uh, obviously there are a lot of great scientific ideas, but they're not that easy to turn into viable business. So I just want to ask uh, from your experience, so what were maybe the biggest challenges in translating that idea from academia to to a company? And uh, how did it come about? So,
0: you know, everyone has to get lucky in his life uh, (laughs) once in a while. So how how would... how it went was basically I I worked with Kai and Silke, two of my co-founders, already during my undergrads. Um and and I and 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 they kind of said, you know, we have this kind of idea translating liquid biopsy into the infectious disease space. And then we sat down with um some clinicians here in Germany and pitch the idea from a scientific uh, 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 point of view. And they said, you know, um, we're obviously interested in, in in advancing sepsis diagnosis. So yeah, let's cooperate. And this was with um, the university clinics in Heidelberg. And, and then there, here comes the lucky part. They had a couple of samples from septic trials, from sepsis trials, still in the freezer, which we were then able to get our hands on and analyze. And the results looked really, really promising. So the clinician ba- clinicians basically doubled down on us and said, you know, there's another trial coming up, which you can then analyze again. And, and those results just looked fantastic. Um, you know, way more positive uh, um, IDs on the microbes, way more complex Pathogens detected, and when we were evaluating this in advance to peer uh, review publishing this, basically the idea just popped in our head. You know, we say w- when this performs, that where we should think about incorporating it, and this was kind of the kickstart for the whole process. Um, we then had a lot of discussion with other clinicians of you know, is is there really a need for such a product? Because time is of the essence, in sepsis especially, but in general also in in other infectious diseases. And since sequencing is still kind of a time-consuming procedure, at least it is known to be really time-consuming, we wanted to be really sure. But once we got the feedback that, you know, better diagnostics, May also take a bit of more time. That was kind of where we sat down and said, "Let's do it." So, and that's when end of 2016 we made the decision to incorporate. So, and then in 2017 we started with Nosando.
1: Fantastic, and uh, probably most most blood cultures also don't take uh, that that short period of a time, right? So, in the end, you might be even gaining a little bit. We are doing this show for you and your feedback is very important for us, so if you have any suggestions or comments or would like to recommend a guest, please write us an email to team at pmedcast.com. You can also reach us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook. Just type in Personalized Medicine Podcast and you will find us there. To catch our next episode, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Please rate us there and leave a comment. This helps us make this show better and reach more people interested in personalized medicine. And now let's get back to the interview. Great, Philip. I just want to follow up on, on the last point that you mentioned. Uh, so you, you've talked obviously to, to lots of physicians. It's great to see that, that they are engaged uh, helping you uh, getting uh, to that first uh, proof of concept data. In the broader landscape of um, Healthcare. How easy or how difficult do you think it will be to, to convince not just the early adopters, people who physicians who are m- interested in science, but the broader crowd of, of physicians to to switch from what they've been using for hundreds of years, pretty much to, to something uh, fairly new.
0: I I think that's you know you know quite a general statement, but I think you you have to get the product or the technology into the hands of as many clinicians as possible in the most convenient way you can think of. Because as everyone knows, um, there is just not enough time for everyone to do everything. And if you want people to use your thing, you should you know, take up as... Less time or as, 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 uh, yeah, you, you, you just need to get it to them in a very, very convenient way. And this is, this is one uh, hurdle you you have to take basically. The second uh, thing is that obviously you have to create value for them. Meaning in our case that we really have to deliver better diagnostic yield than traditional methods, which in our case wasn't, as you just mentioned, um, yielding better diagnostics results than a hundred year old procedure. So there is room for improvement on this side. And and once you've got this down, um, the next step, and that's a very, very hard one, is not only to convince clinicians, but more or less to convince all the other stakeholders in the health ecosystem. And far and foremost, um, health insurances. And since we're based in Germany, um, obviously the goal in our home country would be to convince public health insurances, which cover 80 to 90% of the whole uh, uh, German population. And this is a completely different... because they obviously have an interest in paying for better care, uh, no no question about it, but they also have other factors in mind. Um, How much can you change a patient's life when he's not in the hospital based on procedures you do in the hospital? And those kind of questions to answer just take time so you really have to you know it's a marathon it's not a sprint um, and finding the right people in this ecosystem who then support you is, is is quite substantial to make it work so I think those three having a really good value proposition of your product giving it to clinicians or to your users in a way that is really convenient, and having the backing of other substantial players in the ecosystem are the ingredients um, you should opt for in the in the very beginning.
1: Perfect. Yeah, it, it's very important. Healthcare space is complex. I think. Also, like when you talk to, to, to people outside of healthcare, uh, they, they often ask, hey, who is your customer? Okay, you just need to convince the customer. Wait, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of other people who, who, who have influence on decision and can make or break uh, your product in the end. So, so it is complex and it, it is important to understand. Great. Um, Philip, let's get back to, to to your to your product, your offering um, so you provide this platform called uh, Discover. I hope I, I pronounce it uh, correctly. So can you tell us a little bit more um, what exactly is uh, behind Discover? Um, what type of NGS analysis do you, do you use there? And what type of information can you provide for clinicians?
0: Yeah, so you, you pronounce it exactly right. It, it's Discover. And um, what Discover is, it's, it's a cloud-native IT platform. Um, which ingests sequencing data and mostly coming from Illumina sequences uh, at the moment. And it is set up that it can be you or can intake data from what we call the distributed scene, meaning that it's not tailored to uh, take in data from just one laboratory but from several laboratories in, you know, different geographic regions, et cetera. And what this cover does with whole genome shotgun sequencing data coming from cell-free DNA is obviously all this kind of quality assurance, quality control, uh, things you, you need to do in, 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 in clinically great software. And then, um, we identify with, d- discover more than 16,000 microbes simultaneously. And out of those sixteen thousands, and that's kind of the, the, the breadth of diagnostics we can offer, there's already 1,500 described as pathogens. However, what we see is there are more pathogens out there than we think, and there are more microbes who can act as pathogens than are described in literature. And the thing with Discover, what comes on top of this identification is a statistical framework we've developed within OSENDO, which is able to differentiate or to, to pin down, for example, contaminations coming in from the laboratory process or during the sample draw, uh, which is able to differentiate between, say, non-normal signals and signals which really originate from the bloodstream of the patient. And thus, not only, you know, giving clinicians a rather long list of microbial names, but a rather short list of the relevant microbes we've detected. And as it turns out, the software is really, really good in it. There will be an interventional trial uh, coming up, uh, which is funded by a federal committee here in Germany to evaluate um, also how much impact can diagnostics have on the post-hospital setting. Um, So, yeah, and, and... What what, what information Discover gives to the clinician at the moment is the relevant microbes identified in the bloodstream of the patient based on cell-free DNA.
1: Perfect. And uh, one question I'm wondering about, is it potentially possible to also add uh, this element of antibiotic or antimicrobial resistance to that as well? And some of that Is encoded in the genes. I don't know like how well is our understanding at the moment of which genes encode for which specific antibiotic resistance, but this is something is it something that you see happening in the future?
0: It it is definitely something that we see happening in the future. And it's also the next, if you can call it like the, the next big pandemic we will face. Because also now during COVID, antibiotic prescription rates are skyrocketing um, because people who get hospitalized due to COVID often experience a second infectious hit by other microbes and to reduce the consequences of this physicians are prescribing some kind of antibiotics. And what happens is that more and more microbes become resistant or even multi- or pan-resistant to all thoughts of uh, antimicotics or antibiotics. And what we saw, and we published it already in, in 2016, is that cell-free DNA in itself, and especially then microbial cell-free DNA, carries the information of antibiotic resistances. So you can find DNA stretches originating from genes which are responsible for antibiotic resistances. And this is the next step, I'd say, in delivering a comprehensive diagnostic tool. So once you know who is in there and who is relevant, the next step is you want to know, how can I treat him. And the information on antibiotic resistances is the answer to how can i treat him. and that's that's right it is necessary to 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 go down the route of heavy r and d in the area of antibiotic resistances definitely
1: great uh, philip this this sounds very promising and since we already started speaking about the future the question that we like to ask on this podcast is what are the three developments that you see happening or would like to see happen in your field, in the field of infectious diseases, perhaps antibiotic resistance is something that we already spoke about, but, but what are the other things that you, that you see up and coming in this field?
0: Especially in, in infectious diseases, where time is of the essence, what I'd really like to see is, even though it got tremendously fast over the last few years, and even faster sequencing um getting down getting sequencing times down to just a couple of hours is what is in in infectious disease diagnostics implemented on day in a daily routine is the holy grail and the problem is and i think that's why it's not there yet while being just faster is not good enough you need to be fast and accurate and this is something i'd I'd really like to see um within i don't know the next couple of years or or decades or whatever because what it gives us is the ability to not only be able to do diagnostics really fast but also and i think this is kind of you know the smoking gun everyone sees in these days it also gives us a tool to do real-time epidemiology in case of a pandemic like COVID, for example. And this is, is, is one pillar, basically, of, of what I'd, I'd like to see. The next step is that we need to get a grasp on new anti-infectives. And This is something that bothers me uh, 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 also personally to to some extent because we are still relying on anti-infectives which have been developed quite some time ago. And those become more and more ineffective. And if you see how many anti-infectives are being developed at the moment, I think we should step up our game in, 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 in this area as well. And maybe a uh, third, as a third uh, a kind of thing, and, and that's more from the IT point or bioinformatics uh, uh, pa- point of view, I'd really love to see bioinformatics as a whole moving more into, say, the spotlight. Um, Because what what happens more often than not is that that bioinformatics is perceived as some kind of toolbox, physicians, biologists can kind of request to answer their questions. But what really should happen is bioinformatics answering their own questions. It's, It's not a scientific area where you're just about to help people. It's a scientific area which moves whole other areas and I think this kind of perceivement of bioinformatics is, is what needs to change in the in the next couple of years. Because as I th- I I think there won't be enough bioinformaticians anymore to cope with all the data everyone is producing.
1: That last point got me thinking. It's I actually never thought about bioinformatics in this way, so I was rather in those group of ignorant scientists who <laughs> thought of bioinformatics more yeah. for tool. But, but this is a very, very important uh, change of perspective. So thanks, Philip, for, for sharing that.
0: Yeah, you're very welcome.
1: Great. Philip. one more question that we also like to ask, specifically people who, who made the transition from, from science to entrepreneurship. What one advice would you like to give to young scientists, young PhD students or postdocs who are thinking about starting the company based on their PhD or postdoc research?
0: So I I guess the the, the one advice is, um, you know, be resilient. You really have to think about this as a marathon and not a sprint in all sorts of ways. And this has to be kind of connected to you need to love what you do to make it work as a as a as a biotech life science startup you you really need to love what you do and i think if this doesn't apply to what you do then give it a second thought and if you're doing it in medicine or in in some kind of medical area which is affecting patients' lives, have a think about that there are patients' lives on the line of what you do. Because I, what I can say for me personally, and also for all of my colleagues here in Oceno is at the end of the day, we do it for the patients to, to get medical microbiology finally into the 21st century. And... This is the motivation, so it's patients first. And this kind of thinking is, from my perspective, needed to, to, to transition from a scientific to a commercial uh, kind of approach.
1: Love it, yeah. I think it's, it's very important to, to remember about those patients and not just focus on science, as you pointed out. I think as scientists, we, we like to solve complex problems, but we might sometimes lose the sight of a bigger picture, which ultimately matters in the grand scheme of things. So thanks a lot for sharing this, Philip. Before I let you go, one last question. Where can our audience find you online in case they would like to reach out?
0: Um, so yeah, they can, they can reach me, everyone can reach me basically through the website, uh, Twitter, and I'm on LinkedIn. And you know, feel free to contact me, Happy happy to have a chat.
1: Perfect. Philip. thanks so much. I I really love this conversation. Thanks a lot for bringing this very important topic on the show. As you said, often neglected, but affecting so many people. We don't really have a good solution. So thanks a lot for all that you and your team are doing, and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch.
0: Yeah, perfect. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. And yeah, let's bring medical microbiology into the 21st century.
1: Great. Let's do it. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Personalized Medicine Podcast. If you like this show and know someone who would enjoy it too, please share this podcast with them. And don't miss the next episode yourself. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Please rate us there and leave a comment. That helps us to grow and deliver best experience to you. To access the show notes for this episode, visit our website, pmedcast.com. It's PMEDCAST.com. Our show notes include guest bios, links to their most notable work, and recommendations for additional reads on the topic of the episode. And if you have any feedback or would like to suggest a guest, write us an email to team at PMEDcast.com or reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Thank you very much, have a great day, and until next time.